Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are pushing like 220 episodes and it just gets better and better. I have been talking to different audiences about what I'm learning, speaking to, and interviewing now over 200 entrepreneurs about what they do, not just to create their own business, but in sort of the cool things they do in their life. And this is this has become kind of one of my favorite parts of my business is hosting this podcast. So thank you to all of you who tune in and listen. And one of the things I try to do is I try to f- try to find people who do different things, things you may never have heard of before. And so today we have Steve Kasha. And Steve's clients make more money through better customer retention, increased upselling, and heightened awareness to how stress can limit productivity and effectiveness. Now, here's a cool thing. When I was asking him about himself, he said that he is the mechanical trade industry's leading customer service expert, and that he has actually written the college curriculum for the mechanical industry on customer service. Now, he does a lot of things. He is a he is a trainer, he's a consultant, he's a speaker. He has earned the National Speakers Association's prestigious CSP, that is Certified Speaking Professional designation. And right now, he is a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Steve Kasha, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here, Tom. <laughs> Hey, do me a favor and tell everybody a little bit more about what you do as the mechanical trade industry's leading customer service expert. I, I don't know that that sentence really does you justice. So why don't you tell everybody about your business? Well, the the uh, the mechanical trade industries, first of all, includes the indoor comfort of large office buildings, hospitals, shopping malls, and residential properties. Hmm. So it is usually the mechanical worker that's on the roof working on an air conditioner or is in the basement working on the boiler or the furnace or they're laying out new new ductwork and they're focused on not just the thermal comfort they're also focused on the indoor air quality you know it's interesting a healthy environment it's really interesting because we all go to shopping malls and hospitals and schools and and these really large high-rises and buildings and i don't know if we actually stop and think about the fact that there's always a crew of people who are making sure that all that stuff works. Absolutely. They're extremely important to the health and the comfort of our nation and the whole world. So how did you get into this specific niche, teaching customer service? What is your, what's your background that led you to this business? Well, I, I was a customer service manager as a profession. I started uh, when I was a much younger younger man back in the early 1980s. And the, my, my job went away about uh, 16 years ago. It, um, the, uh, the plant where I worked was, was shut down. So I started consulting because the only thing I knew was customer service. So I was a generalist. But then I stumbled upon the mechanical trades. And being a writer and an ex-service manager, I started to write information about customer service and they all believed in good customer service, but it had never been codified. No one had ever written the textbook. <laughs> so I, I learned that the guy that writes the textbook gets to be the expert. So I wrote the textbook. 
so, on, uh, on the customer service for the, for the trades. So when you, when you think about it, though, every business cares about customer service. But I think if we were to look at the training industry and the speaking industry for the last 30 years, that has consistently been one of the hot topics that, that people need to bring in and teach their people. So why is it if we all know, like you said, they care about customer service, if everybody cares, people in the job, their bosses, obviously their customers, everybody cares about customer service. Why is it so hard to get it right? It's mostly a management problem, Tom. People on the front line would do a better job serving the customers if they saw a better example from management. Hmm. And I go into any assignment to do training and consulting. I'm usually asked to fix the frontline employees. And 80% of the time, or perhaps more, the problem is not the frontline. The problem is management either, either does not lead by example, or they have not established an easy infrastructure by which the frontline can have access to the information they need to serve customers. So, so, how, the, uh, so how many years has it been since you have gone to, you know, uh, sort of taking this uh, uh, thing on your own? How long has it been since you left working for people and actually became an entrepreneur teaching this stuff yourself? It's been 16 years. So what – do you ever miss like having a regular job working for yourself for 16 years? That's, that's a long time. <laughs> Not now, <laughs> but, uh, but the first seven years of my self-employment, yeah, <laughs> the first seven years were tough. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because that's something – I just got an email from a listener, gosh, today uh, when we're right. recording this, and he said, thank you for being so transparent about your first four years because I tell people all the time, you know, people yeah. tell you, oh, follow your passion, quit your job, and the money will follow. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I don't know where the money didn't, didn't follow me. I hemorrhaged cash for four years. So let's yeah. talk about those early years. What was that first seven years like for you? Those, those, you know, the first few years were me creating awareness. And uh, like many other uh, National Speakers Association members, I was the king of every Lions Club, Rotary Group, Church Group, Chamber of Commerce, free speech within a 50-mile radius of where I live. I was <laughs> well, out doing it everywhere. Well, what's the old expression? And, you got to speak for free before you speak for a fee. That's right. So, But the thing I learned from doing that was I got to be a better speaker. Of course. Um, uh, you know, we all learned that, that, that the more you speak, the more you speak. So uh, I started doing that. I was also a writer. I was a business journal columnist for the Eastern Pennsylvania Business Journal hmm. for many years. I've, so, I've written a lot of articles. I've written a lot of articles for the Austin Business Journal, so I know that uh, I cut yeah. my teeth. The first thing that I ever had published was in the Austin Business Journal. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the the thing I learned in self-employment during those early years was being a writer gave me credibility, and writing about my my discipline made me a better consultant. Because I was always seeking the next case study, the next piece of research. And the more you research and the more you write, the better you get. But that didn't make the money coming right away. It took a long time. And seriously, it didn't happen for me until I found my niche in, in the mechanical trades. That's so you, when everything got much easier. So originally you were trying to be a generalist. I think that's something yes, that yes. I think that's something that a lot of us do is we go in thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I who who could be your client? Everybody could be my client. <laughs> 
if they yeah, have a so, pulse, if, if they breathe air, I could have them as my client. And, and I think that, you know, oftentimes when we sort of specialize or find that niche, it really gets clear. So talk a little bit about that. How did that come about? And then, you know, what, what changed in your business because of it? Okay. Yeah. So in, in about uh, 2003, I did a speech for which I got paid to a group of air conditioning contractors. And that started this whole mechanical trade thing. Little by little, I got into it and I saw they were, they were really concerned about service, but it was never codified or published about how to do it. So when I got into it and started serving companies, the things I did was I put myself way out there and I volunteered to go in the trucks with the technicians I went in the basements, I went on the rooftops, I went with them, and I was able to see in real time where the value touch points were when a mechanical worker is on site, right down to how we park the truck. You know, how you look, how you drive, how you approach anyone, all those things really started to matter. And the more I used that content in my seminars, the more the industry seemed to like me and trust me. And uh, so, so it, it, it started that way. Then once I got the college curriculum going about uh, eight, eight years ago, then that gave me credibility to all the trade schools and the community uh, colleges and it opened up a separate revenue stream for college textbook sales, hmm. which, is, which is good continuity revenue. Well, I was just going to say that's something that that not a lot of our peers, a lot of speakers have have done is is tracked that market. And yet, at the end of the day, you always have those people because there's always new freshmen taking you know that one hundred and one class every year. So that's constant sales, right? Yeah, as uh, as students enroll for a course, we get a purchase order, and getting my getting my company's. Um, uh, federal tax ID into some of these infrastructures, some of which are 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 are, are municipal, some of them are large uh, institutions. It's very hard to get in. But the thing I've learned about sales is when it's really hard to get in, it's also really hard to get taken out. And once you're in, you are you are in. And the purchase orders just keep on coming. So Steve, what do you love about the life you've created as an entrepreneur for the last 16 years? Serving the mechanical trades means I don't have to wear a shirt, a tie, and a jacket. <laughs> I walk around with a, uh, a short sleeve shirt with my company logo uh, over just above the left-hand pocket. I look like a plumber, and it's a wonderful life. I, I can wear jeans and boots and fit in with my clients, and the people in the mechanical trades are wonderful, mostly family-owned companies. They hunker down. They really care. They're available 24-7 to their clients. And I've made some great personal friends in this industry. Well, it is sort of the salt of the earth people. I've spoken at several conferences that are in the, you know, HAC, you know, air conditioning and and heating trades. And, you know, the people who run these businesses, oftentimes now they're second and third generation. Grandma or grandpa started it and dad ran it. And uh, they are just salt of the earth, really good people. So you are working around sort of great people. And obviously you're providing them with the service that they all need. And they all, we talked about this when we got started. Everybody struggles with customer service. But are there ever any days you think, you know, I could have just stayed working for somebody, being a customer service manager and not deal with all the headaches of the first seven years of trying to get established and, you know, having to deal with making payroll and, and you ever miss it? You ever think a job wouldn't be so bad? 
not now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> at the age I, I, I'm in my early 60s, I'm at a time where in my life where time off means a lot to me. So now I can schedule my work. I can have the leisure that I want and I can have fun. I've, I've taken up kayaking, bicycle riding. I've got a pickup. I drive around the country and visit clients and I'm living a pretty good life at, at this stage. So I don't miss it at all. Give me self-employment at this stage of my life. <laughs> so if somebody's <laughs> listening to you and, and, and maybe they're a little younger or maybe they're in their mid-60s saying, wait a minute, I want to ride this out doing my own thing. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to make that transition that, that you made you know, almost two decades ago? Well, if uh, I would say if you're not a writer, learn how to write. There is no better way to get better at your discipline than writing about it. Because if you write about it, you will internalize that information. Then you'll speak with greater fluency about your discipline. And also, there's really good credibility in getting published, whether it's in a blog, it's in a magazine. When you are published, you get instant credibility. People think you are smart. And then the other thing is be tenacious. If you have a vision, if you believe in it, don't stop going after your vision. And uh, I know it's hard during, during the lean years, but try to have fun while you're doing it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, know that those people you are serving, they really want you to succeed. And most of the obstacles you think exist, they're in your, they're in your own head. That when you can get out of your own way and get, get past those obstacles, all your clients want you to be successful. So take that to heart. So I hope that's helpful. No, that's helpful. I want to go back to the writing thing because I started okay. a blog like, gosh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago when blogs first sort of started. Like I'd be at dinner parties yeah. and people go, has anybody heard of these things called blogs? And I'd be like, I have one. And I'd look around and I was <laughs> I was the only person. People yeah. were like, why do you write a blog? And I, I turned a lot of my blog posts into the early sort of editions of the ideas behind the 12 books I've now written. Right. So I, I not only became a better writer because I was blogging or in the early days, five days a week. Now that I do this podcast, my blog has sort of taken a back seat to the podcast. But uh, I used to blog five days a week, and I think I've done like 3,000 blog posts or something like that. I mean, it's a it's wow. a huge, maybe, maybe little, yeah, I think that's about right. There's just thousands of them. And now I'm able to go back when somebody calls and says, hey, can you write an article for my magazine? I'm able to go to back to a blog post I wrote 10 years ago. Yeah. pull the 800 words and now I have a draft. I mean, obviously some things have changed if I'm writing about social media or I'm writing about networking or, or something like that, sales, but I have I have all kinds of drafts because I have thousands of things that I've written um, and that's great because it gives me all this content to pull from and reposition, but also, like you said, writing so much just made me a better writer. People say, oh, Tom, you're a good writer. Well, I don't think I was 12 years ago. It's, right. kind of, it's kind of like this podcast. You know, you're like episode yep, yep. 220 or somewhere around there. If you go back and listen to episode one, you'll be like, yeah, I don't know if Tom should do this show. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you about the writing. The, and, I, I, and I also agree with you about repurposing what, we, what we've written. I mean, I can find uh, lots of uses for my business journal columns and old blogs. And what amazes me, Tom is how many people haven't seen them yet. Like, it's just amazing. I, I, I take something from four or five years ago, and I, I change the first paragraph to make it a, a, a little more relevant, and everyone loves it. Like They haven't seen it before. So there's always a new audience that we should be uh, putting in front of what we write, and they are out there, no doubt. 
So how important do you think, I always ask people on the show about how important they think networking is, other people to helping you find success. Have, have other people been important to you as you've navigated the ups and downs of running your own business? Yeah, networking has been uh, very, very important. When I first got into the mechanical trade, someone urged me to go to this trade show in Chicago. So my office is, is, is in Philadelphia. But he said to go, and I trusted this person. So I got on a plane out of Philly, 7 a.m. in the morning, flew to Chicago. I got to O'Hare, took the, um, took the train downtown, walked to McCormick Place, spent all day at this mechanical trade show, shaking hands, giving out business cards, meeting people, came back to Philly that night. I commuted one day to Chicago. That one day in Chicago yielded me so much work. Huh. And it was unbelievable. I was in the right place. And the guy that uh, that urged me to go, he was there. So he was introducing me to people he knew. So it was just a real good thing. You got to be there sometimes. And you have to have those good trusted relationships of someone who can introduce you to the important people that he knows or she knows. Well, and you bring up an interesting point because even fast forward, you know, 15 years or whatever that's been – you know, I still think that trade shows and industry conferences are very important. People always are saying, oh, the, the, the live meeting business is dying because we can just get on Skype or we can, you know, uh, have an online call. The actual statistics are live meetings. There's never been more money spent on them. More people are attending. They're getting more lavish. And I still think in a world where we're crazy for social media, where everybody is, you know, looking for digital shortcuts, being in the room, meeting people, shaking their hand makes you top of mind when it comes time for them to hire whoever it is that, that sells the product or service that you hire, as opposed to people who are just lost in the sea of a like, a link, a share, or a follow. And so I think that that's great advice to, to get your butt to a live event where the people yeah. in your industry are going to be. So do you still participate in the mechanical trade industry's oh, yeah, events? Kidding me? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I go, I go every chance I get. And I drive around in my pickup. So if I've got to be someplace in Charlotte, North Carolina, or in Orlando, Florida, I will book a whole bunch of work on the way down driving south. Because what, what mechanical companies really appreciate is someone who can show up at their shop at 7 o'clock in the morning in the uh, tool shed and do a seminar for the technicians before they go in. So I'll show up at 7 o'clock. I'll speak until about 9 a.m., then I'll get back in the truck and, and keep driving south, and I can hit companies every day like that, serving serving clients. And what's great Where, is their people can be then out on the road serving clients at 9 o'clock, so they're not, keeping, they're not pulling people out for a full day. Right, and so it's a win-win in that I can earn the revenue, they get the service, and my clientele has learned that about me. So we put a calendar on the website, there's a there's a map at the, at the bottom of my blog so people can see where I'm going to be and where I'm going. So it's become a nice, predictable revenue stream. So, Steve, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But okay. first, I got to thank the sponsor of our show. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work, which is so important because I'd never do the technical work. You'd never get this episode if I didn't have Podfly. They do all that stuff so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your business, and interviewing really cool people like Steve Kasha. Now, if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. 
So, Steve, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Uh, Right now, we are creating more online content. Uh, So it started about two years ago, but we are full throttle doing this now. This is a very robust revenue stream. And here's why. In the mechanical trades, people have to keep their certifications relevant every year. They have to earn CEUs. So there are lots of, of venues that host these online learning lessons. So my company has started creating them. And then again, having uh, written the college curriculum, I've got the credibility where if we create an online learning lesson, people want to see it. So that is cool. And the coolest thing about it, Tom, you only have to create the lesson once and then upload it and it gets recurring revenue after that. And I would imagine for the people who are in that trade, this is a good option because sometimes you might have a couple hours down between appointments and you could do your training and get your certification points, you know, you know, during that lull time rather than necessarily having to stay after work or come in early. Absolutely. And the, uh, you know, everything's going mobile today. So the lessons are viewable on a uh, smartphone, on, on a tablet, and uh, many of the uh, of, of today's mechanical companies have gone to tablets instead of using a, uh, a a clipboard for when they do their service calls. So new video development is good. I play the piano, and I started integrating my piano playing into some of these videos, and uh, so my clients are seeing a more fun side of me as well. So and, and I think fun is cool. I think they, they like to hear different things about the, uh, about the consultant who comes in to talk about the mechanical trades. Have you played piano your whole life? Uh, mostly. I started in my teenage years. But, All, right. Yeah. All right. I always regret never learning to play the piano. Yeah. So I don't it's know. Fun. Maybe I'm too, Maybe a, I'm not too old at 50. <laughs> when there's a baby grand at a conference, you got to see what happens, Tom. Everybody, everybody gets around you. You sit there and play and everybody's around Steve. I know exactly what happens. I've seen it. Dancing and (laughs) drinking and unbelievable. It is a lot of fun. It's good. Hey, Steve, I love to ask the entrepreneurs who come on this show because I think entrepreneurs are observers. I love to ask them, who do you see out there? Another entrepreneur, not your company, where you think, oh my gosh, they're doing really cool stuff. Well, you know, I've known about John Maxwell for a while. But I only, I only learned a lot more about him recently. And, boy, he is impressive. Boy, he just, he has, he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going. Yeah, I, unbelievable. I, I saw a video in which he was interviewed by Nito Cobain, and I learned a, a lot that I didn't know about John Maxwell. I mean, not just about his benevolence and um, his global travel, but his depth and the way he continually rewrites what he knows, he revises it, and boy, he just doesn't stop. Yeah, so he's my new um, impressive, cool guy that I learned a lot more about recently. So you and I were recently at a conference together. That's where we actually met at a conference at right. High Point University, uh, mm-hmm. where Nito Cobain is the university president, and he does a series of interviews, kind of like cool things entrepreneurs do. I, I'm sure he copied me, although he's been doing it longer, so I know he didn't. But where he interviews top entrepreneurs and gets them to share sort of what they're doing, and he gave us a couple of videos. Was that one of the videos you watched? Was the John Maxwell one one of the ones yes, that you got? Yes, it was. So yes, it was. I've got that impressed. sitting on my on my television so that I can watch it uh, 
maybe with my college daughter when she gets home because that looked very interesting. So I'm glad to hear that you were so impressed with it because that was going to be part of our, our holiday viewing. Yeah, I think what impresses me most, Tom, about people is tenacity. Someone who does something really impressive and yet they're not done with it yet. They come back to it a few years later and they, and they revise it and they perfect it. And he's that kind of guy. He just doesn't stop. Very yep. impressive. Yeah, I have a friend who has sort of patterned his entire life after what John Maxwell has done. And the guy's found a lot of success by just following the clues that Maxwell has sprinkled along the way. Yeah, that's yeah, a good thing. So the final question that I ask everybody, because I think in addition to being observers, I think entrepreneurs want to leave their mark. They want to they do more than make money. So I love to ask people, what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? When I am traveling, I give back by teaching at the colleges who use my textbook, and I, and I teach for free. So there's, there's no greater thrill for the faculty and the students when the guy that wrote the book shows up. So, <laughs> when I, so if I'm traveling, like when I was in High Point with you, I taught a class at Gulliford uh, Technical Community College, not too far from High, from High Point. And that's the way I give back. I love the younger workforce. I love to see that there are 19 and 20-year-olds getting involved in the mechanical trades and we need these younger workers because the older guys are are retiring and there isn't enough younger folks coming in to take their places. Well, you bring up an interesting point. I'm going to just sort of diverge here instead of saying goodbye. You bring up an interesting point that you have these younger, you know, 20 somethings who are going into this trade and how part of what you do is you serve them and you teach them how to be better at what they do. I was listening to a radio show the other day and, and they had the, it was a young man who called into the radio show and the host asked him what he did. And he said, well, I'm, I'm in school. And he, he sort of apologized. He said, I'm learning to be a welder. And he apologized. And the host was like, don't apologize for that. My God, what a great trade. And the kid himself, and the kid, he was like 23, he was somewhat embarrassed to say he was learning a trade. And I thought, and my thought was how horrible in our society that we've taken that and somehow said that's not a, as quality as some other job. When in reality, if we don't have people who are, you know, doing the things, the mechanical trades and, and stuff like that, we're all going to be in trouble because I can't go weld something. I can't fix the air conditioner. So what do you think about that we need to sort of raise the credibility or the, uh, the, the, the sort of cool factor of the mechanical trades? It, the problem originates in uh, much of our school system, which seems preoccupied with steering students towards four-year universities. So guidance counselors need to be influenced and persuaded to better assess students because not every student is a candidate for a four-year university. And we need to remove some of the social stigmas about being a welder or a plumber or an electrician. They are good trades in which someone can earn a very lucrative living. Well, from what I understand, from what I understand, if you're good, you can make a great living. Oh, it's, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. And there's you are so well appreciated by the people who you serve. I mean, when you can get a furnace going on a cold December day <laughs> for a client, there's nothing better. It's just a wonderful thing. So what do we what are those of us who see ourselves as entrepreneurs? What do we need to do to help sort of promote that? What, what can we do to sort of help society look upon the trades in a more positive outlook? What boost the the uh, trades stature among society in that say that 
if you go to school to be a programming a computer engineer, there's a good chance your job is going to get outsourced someday. But if you install water heaters and you fix a furnace, that job ain't going anywhere. Someone's got to come here to fix it. That's right. You can't outsource so, my plumber to China because my plumber right. has to be in my bathroom. <laughs> that's right. Remember in that, in that movie, The Graduate, where uh, during that party, uh, Benjamin Braddock's parents have his, his father's friend comes over and he says, I've only got one word for you. <laughs> and the word is plastics. <laughs> and and I, I think all through the 1980s, all students were hearing words, computers. Right. And, and the 80s it, and 90s and now even. Yeah, it became pervasive. So I think if speakers can speak about the trades as the job that can't be outsourced, someone's got to be here to turn that wrench. Oh, that, that's good. Now, the other thing I want to follow up on is you, you speak to these young people at these colleges and some of them who work for the companies who are your clients. You know, I think the millennials get a bad rap. I think people say, oh, they're, they're lazy. They don't want to work hard. I find just the opposite when I speak to groups of, you know, college kids or, or early 20 something. What, what are you finding? Yeah, I, I like the younger workforce. The, the ones who are paying their own way and they're in school are there to learn. And they are there to suck up as much knowledge as they possibly can. I like their high-tech savvy applications. They, they question things a lot. And to some baby boomers, that, that can be frustrating. But I've learned to let them question because my company has benefited from a 20-year-old person, you know, who, who took on my website. So if you give them a little time, that's a, that's a good thing. And by the same token, I have to urge the younger workforce to be a little patient with us older guys. That with that, we've been around the block a few times, and we do know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve Kasha, thank you so much for jumping on to cool things entrepreneurs do. I loved this conversation. And if somebody was listening and they're like, oh, my gosh, I need to find out more about what he does because maybe they have a mechanical trade business and, and they need you to help them with customer service. Or maybe they just like you and, and want to learn more about you and what you do. How do people find you? Well, if you uh, can go to a browser and just type HVACCustomerService.com. So that's HVACCustomerService.com, and, that, and that'll forward you to my, uh, to my website. Our phone number is uh, 610-853-9836. And my name is just uh, – my email is just my name, Steve at Kasha.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who listened, because I say it all the time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't even have a show. And the audience is growing and, and we're starting to get more attention because people like Steve are promoting their episodes. And then people who listen to Steve, they stick around and listen to more episodes. So the audience is growing week after week. And that's kind of exciting for me because I do the show for you even though I'm the one who learns so much every single time I have a great guest on. So again, Steve, thank you for being on the show. Audience, thank you for being part of this. Jump over to our Facebook page or on Twitter. We're at Cool Podcast. Uh, you can also find out more about our group coaching program at my website, which is Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Steve. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.